0: This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I would like to talk about a little known artist but who in the first two decades of the 20th century was one of the most popular and wildly acclaimed artists performing in vaudeville and on the musical stage. His name was Wilbur Sweatman. Wilbur was born in 1882 in a small town of Hutcheson, Missouri outside of Kansas City. came from a musical family, first took up the violin, later took up the clarinet. He was an excellent musician and early on in his life was playing in circus bands, performed the clarinet in marching band, circus bands, traveling the country in uh, minstrel shows. So early on in his career he was um, recognized as a very talented clarinetist. He lived in Kansas City and for a period Period. around the turn of the century, he lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he actually became a musical director and conductor of a pretty large theater. And he was only in his early 20s, so he this is the kind of esteem that he was held in by his peers. He moved to Chicago about 1907 and stayed in Chicago until about 1911, then moved to New York and spent the rest of his career, his life living in New York. But let's talk about why he is so important. Uh, Wilbur, was an important performer on the vaudeville stage, as well as a clarinet virtuoso. History books often overlook him or just give him passing reference, and it's usually in a rather derogatory flavor. Early jazz history books were written in the 1930s and 40s, and if a specific artist didn't fit the bill of that author's concept of what an early jazz artist should be, they were kind of passed over. In 1911, he wrote a piece called Down Home Rag while he was performing on the vaudeville stage. We're gonna listen to a few excerpts of this piece recorded in 1913, not by Wilbur, but by a very important band leader by the name of James Reese Europe, and also by the Victor Military Band. So this is one of Wilbur Sweatman's early compositions. It's probably his best known. This is called Down Home Rag. The first version is James Europe's version. James Reese Europe had one of the most popular dance bands or dance orchestras in the first decade and a half of the 20th century. His orchestra accompanied the castles, a very, very dynamic and famous dance team. So for Reese Europe to record one of these pieces by a relatively unknown composer was was quite um, a coup. Now the same year, the same piece was recorded by the Victor Military Band. So check out this version. Now, again, it's a down-home rag, which is in a, rag, it's a ragtime style, so the rhythm is rather clipped. It doesn't have this swing that we would later associate with, with jazz. So this is real ragtime, kind of a stiff interpretation, but very popular nonetheless. The Victor Military Band, 1913. Wilbur Swetman, coming from Kansas City, was friends with some of the most important ragtime composers at the turn of the century. Scott Joplin, James Lamb, uh, Louis Chauvin. He knew a lot of these wonderful composers, so he's really well acquainted with the ragtime style. Early in his career, when he entered the vaudeville stage, now, you have to remember, at this time, we didn't have internet, we didn't have television, we didn't have this kind of access that we have to entertainment where it's at the touch of our fingertips. So if, an, if a performer needed to get out into the public they had to travel in minstrel shows and he performed all across the country and was recognized as a virtuoso and then in 1911 um, one of his managers said you know you really should should have a vaudeville act and of course that would take him to the next level it's unfortunate or it might be fortunate but part of his act was his ability to play two and three clarinets at a time so now when you see a picture of Wilbur Sweatman, you see a man a well-dressed man playing three clarinets at one time which was just a very very small part of the act. you have to remember that a vaudeville act could be 15 or 20 minutes long and it had to have many different components he would come out and play the clarinet he was a virtuoso he could play up in the high register which was rather unusual at this time and he possessed great technique and he could embellished melodies from Tchaikovsky to ragtime pieces to blues to popular songs but a small part of that act was his ability to play the three clarinets at once and he would save that for the very end but again it was that was a small part of the show but his ability to play the clarinet made him a very popular uh, vaudeville performer so he made a lot of money doing this After these recordings were made in 1913, it brought him some money and some notoriety. But in 1916, he decided he was going to record his own piece. Now, being a clarinet virtuoso who had traveled all over the country, spent time in Kansas City and also in uh, Chicago and Minneapolis, was exposed to lots of different kinds of music. And... I would make a case that this is possibly the very first jazz recording may, ever made. It's 1916, so it predates the original Dixieland jazz band's famous 1917 recordings. Now, uh, Wilbur Swetman had been on the scene for a long time, so by the time this record was made, he's already in his 30s. So he's a well-seasoned performer who has a, a great track record. Let's check out his recording from 1916 on the Emerson label, which was a small record label, so the quality is is not great, but we're going to pick it up about 30 seconds into it, and we're going to hear Wilbur playing the clarinet, and he's really swinging his notes. He's not playing the stiff clipped rhythm that we associate with ragtime music. 1916, Wilbur Sweatman with the Emerson Trio. after Wilbur Sweatman's move to New York in 1911, he became part of a loose fraternity of very important African-American producers, musicians, composers, Broadway stars, um, including people like James Reese, Europe, Ford Dabney, Will Marion Cook, Eubie uh, Blake, Noble Sissel, and they had a, like this, this loose fraternity, they called themselves the Frogs, and it was a very influential group that also helped African-American musicians find employment, protected their rights, so this was a very forward looking organization, and Sweatman was a, an integral part of this group of musicians. Let, let me see if I can help you to identify what is so important and groundbreaking about this record. You have to remember that the original Dixieland Jazz Band, which was a young group of white musicians from New Orleans, had left New Orleans in 1916, went to Chicago, went to New York. The Victor uh, Record Company was so impressed with their music, they took them into the studio in 1917 and released two tracks: Livery Stable Blues, Original Dixieland Jazz Band, One Step, which have been for close to 100 years reputed to be the very first jazz recordings ever made. Well, I I think that there's information coming out now that could possibly dispute that. That Wilbur Swetman recording we, we just heard was made in 1916 and it swings with as much forward motion and verve and embellishment as the original Dixieland Jazz Band recordings. Let's listen to the original Dixieland Jazz Band recording from 1917 of the Dixieland Jazz Band One Step and then we'll compare the two and see how really similar they are. Let's go back to the previous Wilbur Sweatman track, The Down Home Rag, from 1916, and let's check that out and listen to them side by side. <music> Now, Wilbur is using different instrumentation. He's not using a cornet player or trombone. In his group, he has violin, a pianist, and I believe a drummer in the group. He is not using what is referred to as a traditional New Orleans front line, but his playing, the way he's phrasing and embellishing the melodies, that's jazz. and. From what I have been able to ascertain, um, he had been playing that way for at least 10 or 15 years. So let's go back to 1900, he's playing the clarinet and he's playing it in this style. Now this is before improvisation in the modern sense um, really becomes an integral part of jazz. Back in those days, the way they would improvise is basically to embellish or paraphrase melodies. And he's doing this, plus he's swinging his notes, playing in a very highly syncopated style with a lot of forward motion just like Larry Shields with the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Now, after 1917 ODJB recordings were released, all the record companies wanted bands to play with this kind of front line, in other words, uh, clarinet, cornet, and trombone, um, accompanied by percussion, drums, and piano. So Wilbur, in 1917, decided, well, he's going to go along with that. But instead of using the traditional New Orleans Frontline, what he does is he uses a saxophone quartet as his backup group. Now, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he use the the traditional New Orleans style? The reason he did that was because in the teens, in the early part of the 20th century, saxophone playing and saxophone quartet music was the rage. The saxophone was a new instrument, and it really represented this new American energy, and it was always associated with jazz. So why wouldn't Wilbur choose to play with a quartet of saxophone players? So these two recordings we're going to listen to right now are fascinating because the saxophones are played rather slowly softly and stay in the background, so you can really hear Wilbur's very creative and embellished clarinet playing. The first track we're going to listen to is called A Bag of Rags, 1917, Wilbur Sweatman playing with a saxophone quartet, although Wilbur plays clarinet, and the saxophone quartet is very much in the style of what was called the Six Brown Brothers, who were a very famous minstrel saxophone track we're going to listen to is called Joe Turner's Blues. It's from the same recording session. I believe it was released on a label called Pathé, which was a French label. We're gonna hear Wilbur playing with a saxophone quartet and he is swinging, he is embellishing, and he is not playing in a very clipped ragtime manner. He is swinging his notes. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. You can visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com and facebook.com slash jazz insights. Jazz Insights is a production of WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta.